Hello, welcome back to uh, another episode of the David Watson podcast. And when I, I do these, I often don't really know a lot about my guests. And today I spoke with Ed. Ed is a professor who's written many, many books. And we had an incredible, thoughtful conversation about AI, what that means for humanity, how we can adapt how it can be used for both good and bad, and ultimately, hope. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please like, subscribe, and share. And think about what we're talking about. AI is coming. It's going to happen. It can be good. Hello? And good morning to you, and it's nice to meet you, Ed. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for the invitation. Looking forward to being with you. And I'm de I'm very much looking forward to this conversation, um, especially as recently the uh, UK Prime Minister met up with many other people, including uh, Elon Musk, to discuss AI and what the world should be doing about it. And I'm I'm definitely one of those people who falls into the category of probably not understanding exactly what it is, but definitely paranoid that we're going to have a Terminator scenario where we all get wiped out. So, and you've written, is it Own Your Work Journey, The Path of Meaningful Work and Happiness in the Age of Smart Technology and Radical Change. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. And the book, the book was created um, for any any person really seventeen years or eighteen years or older. About okay, we're going into this new world, and this new world is very very different than the world which I was raised in, you were raised in, and even they were raised in if they're eighteen years old. And it's because of artificial intelligence. And I wrote the book to really help people from all walks of life to learn how they'll be able to have meaningful work in, in the age of smart technology and radical change, uh, to help people not be left behind or overwhelmed by the pace of continuous change or being automated out of jobs. And it's a huge, huge issue, as you know, as you know. Um, smart technology, I mean, you know, GTP4 is very smart, but wait till you see five, six, or seven, all right? And they're coming. <laughs> and yeah. uh, uh, and it's a, it's a game changer. I mean, every organization, every business, no matter what you're, how big you are, is, you know, going to have to become a highly adaptive learning organization to be able to adapt it at the speed of technological change. To learn, unlearn, and relearn, and understand how to manage the technology, how to use the technology. And what that requires is you can't have a highly adaptive learning organization without highly adaptive people. Yeah. And that's what the, my, my book is all about. All right. And we live in the, you know, most, this will, we will live in the most disruptive work time since the Industrial Revolution. This is how big this is going to be. And technology is going to automate 
blue-collar jobs, white-collar jobs, Oxford University, from your part of the world, predicts in the United States 25 to 40 percent, or excuse me, 25 to 47 percent of U.S. jobs will be automated by 2030 or sooner. Can I just pause? You, you just said something there, that this, this will be the biggest change since the, the Industrial Revolution. And, and I just want to pause on that a second. Because although I'm not the greatest historian, the Industrial Revolution was effectively what really launched Great Britain as an empire. Although we had already expanded, the Industrial Revolution as a country is really financially what you know, part of our foundations. And, and that's what's still bouncing around in my head because it, it's hard to... Like, like I said, a historian would definitely verse this better, but it, the Industrial Revolution is what changed Europe massively and enabled your, your average person to leave the lord of the manor, so to speak, and actually find independence and work. And one of the great fears, I think, with AI as it steps forward is that people believe it's going to rob them of their independence. And there's a, a definite fear around that. Yes. Yes. But and it, and the reason the reason I made the statement is is that just revolution it took decades before people were able to make the changes and be settled, if you will, into the new work environments to be trained, et cetera. It took decades in the United States, decades across the ocean. And that's what I'm saying is the part, not that the Industrial Revolution was, is, it ended up working out, all right, yeah. for lots of people, all right? But the time frame it took was huge. And the difference here is, the difference here is, is that it will even be more disruptive because it's pretty clear. It's not clear that it's going to work out for everybody. Yeah. There's going to be possibly, quite possibly, millions of people left behind. And what happens then? And then that puts extreme stresses and everything, obviously, on governments. All right. It has impact on geopolitics. Uh, and nobody really knows how this is going to play out other than it is clear that smart technology is going to become smarter and smarter and be able to do more and more. And it's also clear that we human beings, all right, are going to have to be able to become highly adaptive learners because we may be able to figure out, okay, we can do this work that's being done now, but probably in making a number up one year six months year and a half ai is going to do that then i got to learn something new and then i got to keep learning something new well the science of how us humans all us humans whether you're in the uk or you're in the united states the science is clear our brains are wired to go out in the world and seek confirmation of what we believe affirmation 
of our ego, our stories about who we are, and cohesiveness of those stories. And when people critique us or say we're wrong, we tend to, as human beings, to do the use the three Ds. We defend our views, we deflect what the person is saying, or we deny their views are appropriate. And so our minds are not wired, and this is all science. Yeah. Our minds are not wired to be highly adaptive people, to be able to change, to learn, unlearn, and relearn at the speed of technological change. And that's, I mean, scientists here are predicting the average person will have five completely different jobs in the next 20 years. Five completely different jobs. All right. So what does that mean? That means you have to become an adaptable and all right and so then how do you do that etc and but there's also going to be lots of jobs that are going to basically be taken over completely by technology so will there be enough jobs to be created all right and that's a huge issue human beings will have work if they can basically add value in ways that technology can and there's basically three main ways Thinking in ways the smart technology can't think. Critical thinking, innovative thinking, going into the unknown and exploring and figuring things out, making decisions when there's not a lot of data. This is the big plus for human beings so far. Number two, excelling at building caring, trusting relationships with other human beings. In other words, emotions. Emotions may be what differentiate us from the machines, all right? And then the third is excelling at trade jobs that require human dexterity, all right? So moving of your body, your muscles, and human dexterity, and iterative diagnosis of a problem, all right? Using your dexterity, and iterative trial and error approaches to solving the problem, all right? Technology is going to, they're already the, the Technology is producing, um, quote, new types of humans that are running around, moving their arms, seeing them climbing things. All right. Isn't that Boston technology? Yeah. And, yes. And uh, that's right. And, and so you get to the point where, okay, so what's the problem? Okay. The problem is we've got to rewire ourselves. We got to learn how to become highly adaptive learners, all right? And we've got to basically take ownership of what's going on inside of ourselves. We've got to basically take ownership of our ego, our mind, our body, our emotions, behaviors, how we relate to other human beings. We've got to basically take our game to a higher level in order to stay in the game can i ask you a question and and this is going to come back around to to where we are um but i, I i'm trying to think of what my basic fears are and what they would be of other people where were you born i was born in uh, atlanta georgia okay and do you mind me asking what, what your parents and grandparents did? Um, 
my grand. Uh, if you knew them, my, sorry, I didn't ask that first. No, that, that's uh, my grand grandparents. My father was from was from Germany, and uh, he was uh, able to get out of Germany in uh, World War Two and come to the United States. Okay. Um, all all his all his family. Uh, were killed in the camps in Germany. I'm, I'm desperately uh, sorry. I didn't realize that. No, that's 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 it's true. And uh, my wife, uh, my wife, my mother, uh, my mother was uh, raised in Boston, Massachusetts, in New England. Uh, her family uh, worked in factories, and she, they ended up moving down to. Atlanta, Georgia, where her mother had three sisters who married into big wealth. And so the, I was basically born uh, in, in Atlanta, Georgia. I was born six weeks early, two pounds, 13 ounces, and called the miracle baby. I was Definitely. One of the few babies ever, ever born like that and uh, stayed in an oxygen tent for six weeks. Um, and my family ended up, we were raised, I was raised in rural Georgia, rural western Georgia, because uh, uh, my mother and father wanted to get out of the family stuff. And so they went to rural Georgia and uh, became uh, merchants. And uh, so I was raised in a small town in rural Georgia. So I, I am half Irish. My mum is Irish. Her, her parents both grew up in absolute dire poverty um her, her dad's side we know very little about because as soon as he got out of ireland at the age of 15 he never went back and never spoke about it again her mum's side was one of 18 who lived to teenage years years of life at least and 13 became adults and they grew up on effectively what would be a tiny homestead and my dad grew up on a farm and as i'm listening to what you're explaining to me about how chat you know, ai is going to take over i'm trying to think how you you would explain that to my parents to our grandparents because it's what's going to be the equivalent for every lorry driver every electrician every plumber <laughs> do, do, do you know what i mean it's I'm, I'm trying to think of all the jobs that haven't changed in 100 years in you know the technology around them might have changed but the way we apply our thinking to them and use our hands the dexterity of those jobs hasn't changed and so it's how, how, what language would you use to explain to your grandparents what's going to happen in the next five years yeah that's a that's a good question well probably not everything but many things that they did if they were in today's world they wouldn't be doing and so they have to learn new skills uh, new skills and those skills are basically the three skills that I talked about different ways of thinking which may means different places to work uh, Emotional relationships with other human beings, it will be quite a while before human beings uh, fall in love with technology. 
uh, and trust technology. So you can, the emotional side of it and the trade job side of it, it will still be there for a while. Um, I don't, you know, I think that they would find this, they wouldn't believe it. You know, they wouldn't believe it. I mean, if you think about it, there's mm. lots of people in the world today that don't believe it. All right. And they're living in the world today, not the people that are passed away. Um, but it is, I mean, you know, it's in the United States in the last two weeks, some of the leading AI people have basically made the statements. Uh, in fact, what's called, he's called the grandfather of AI, uh, made the statement that within three years, um, uh, human beings will be the second smartest people in the world. This is the problem, isn't it? The, 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 well, it doesn't have to be a problem. It, it doesn't. It's just we have a tendency as humans to, to either face things with excitement or with fear. And yeah. with the way right. that, you know, everyone's idea of AI comes from a bit of a, was it um, Spaceship Odyssey? Now, and now turned against the crew. Um, then, of course, there's the Terminator. Uh, which was Cyberdyne Systems. And then films where AI doesn't turn against us, humans disregard AI as it becomes more advanced and that the machines at once served us. So it, it's never a happy story. We're either taken over by AI or as AI or machines like, um, much more like Boston technology, those machines become more and more advanced. We get rid of the original models and just discard something that was once loved by the family, so to speak, is now discarded. So there's never been a sort of pleasant amalgamation or unison where we all seem to just get along and appreciate each other for what the other can do for each for ourselves, you know, because AI will free us up. In some ways, there is it is going to take jobs and people have to adapt. What freedom does that allow us to adapt into? And, and that's a that's a good question, and, and it all depends on money. <laughs> it all depends on money. All right, where's the money going to come from to help people that are left behind, so to speak, or that don't have jobs? Where the money's going to come from? And how are people going to have the opportunity to learn new things? or to basically live in ways which they find meaningful. And so that's a restructuring of society in many ways. And if you look around the globe today, uh, you know, and think about it, uh, you know, where, where in the world is the country that was, that has enough money and wherewithal to basically, um, uh, give people the money they need to live on in order to have happiness, in order to have opportunities to figure out. Uh, you know, these are, I mean, these are big, big questions. And the EU sort of is leading the, leading the world on being on the forefront of trying to manage AI. But 
I don't know. I have not read a lot about any conversations or any programs that are going on that are basically looking at this potential alternative, which you have mentioned in saying, all right, well, how do we basically give people enough money that they can live a good life, a meaningful life, and be happy with others, and et cetera, um, helping each others. And where will they live? How will they live? With what they will live? I don't see that conversation going on in society right now. No, I Maybe mean, it is somewhere. For me, the thing that I think is partial answer, but I don't see partial solution maybe, but I don't see it because what my fear is that it won't happen is that on one hand, AI could be used in such a way that it produces an almost zero cost to labor. Well, a zero cost to labor could, should, in theory, bring down the cost of living across every country. So that if, if things are being produced for an almost next to nothing cost, we should, in theory, be able to live on a tenth of what we need today in terms of monetary value. I, I don't see the producers of AI doing that. I don't see the people that buy AI. AI technology, not wanting to profit off it. Um, so the, the thing about, on one hand, how it could be embraced, because, it, you, you know, if you could, in theory, introduce AI in such a way that everything from transportation to production costs is brought down to zero, because AI and the machines that make AI, AI are, are doing it for us, and that's all we're effectively paying for, how cheap could the cost of labor and production become? Um, but who's going to do that at the extent of losing trillions in profit? Good question. And it all, all depends on the country and what its philosophy about humanity is and its philosophy about capitalism is all right and there's differences all through the world mm. all right um and you know if you think about it you know and i haven't thought deeply about it the question is is, is a good question if you think about it you know where where in the world is someone on the leading edge of adopting what you're talking about just because of the reality of how they live and where they live and what's going on in the place where they live. Uh, and that would be something to to think about. Uh, but it, you know, and it seems to me it also would take a philosophy of leadership which is different than most of the philosophies of leadership that exist in the world today. If you're, you know, if you really take your question, which again is a good question to its logical order, you know, it, 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 
could or should work out to be the world becomes you know one happy place where everybody is taken care of and you know all of the money is sort of pound, brought together and it's extinguished and you make judgments as to who gets how much money and so long as they're they can eat and they can live and they have a happy life and they have friends and all of this you get going is it you know is it how many different cultures and ways of being have to be created in order to achieve that end result in the world which we look today uh, where you see the varieties if you just think of the big countries in the world and, and how they are managed and what their cultures are and what their expectations of people are and their willingness to treat people is you know with humanity and et cetera, et cetera. You the variability you've got is so huge today. You know, so no country is going to do it on its own. And so you got to talk about changing the world. And the world is very diverse and there's lots of different, we'll call it behaviors which are allowed in different countries which don't necessarily fit with that potential that you're talking about. Is the so human it's almost it's almost it's almost like you know how many world leaders, great world leaders are going to come out of the um, out of this creating a global or semi-global environment where human beating human beings will be treated fairly um etc 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 and i'm you know i don't see an easy way to getting to that result no i don't my I have two. I've, I've raised both my concerns, and I will take it from there. The first one is when I look at human beings, I see, I've heard stories, and I, I've seen people who can come from the most desperate, depraved backgrounds who have absolutely nothing be the most generous people in the world, and I can. I've also seen and witnessed and be the most horrible people in the world. Um, I've seen when you look at the kind of back through history, especially with the Industrial Revolution, some of the most charitable, generous people in the world, the original philanthropists, were the richest industrialists in the world. You gave off great masses of wealth to the working classes, but yes. some of them were also the most disgusting, evil people going. So the capacity for good and evil doesn't seem to depend on what you have in material possession. The other flip side that I don't know if anyone has thought about is what if AI branches off into its own personalities and comes into conflict yeah. with itself? Because yeah. pl plenty of humans don't like each other. Well, it's it's not clear, but I mean, you know, the the 
some of the leading AI people are basically saying that that will happen in the next five years. And so could you end up having AI, AIs that have sort of wars between each other? So uh, does that mean we become the enemy of my enemy becomes my friend? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. And, um, and if you, if you, if you think, think about the, uh, you know, the, the issue of where AI could, could go, I mean, if they're right, if the tech, the technology people are right that within three to five years, you know, AI will be completely generative. Then it's then it's a whole different ball game, and and nobody's. If you look at what's actually going on in the world today, there's there's not a consensus, a humanistic consensus as to how to play this game. And and it's going so fast that most people with everything else going on in the world today, there's not the money, the efforts, or the concentration on it. In other words, it's going to have to bring together a lot of people from different parts of the world, from different ways of living and everything, and, and do something that, you know, has never been done. Uh, and so... You know, there are existential questions that you're that you're thinking about, existential questions that you're asking, and they're all good. Uh, their likelihood is is that they will overwhelm most countries, because if you look at the how many countries today are spending times to, together talking about the questions that, that that we're talking about. How many? None, really. Has, has there been a global coming together of the most powerful countries in the world, sitting down and coming to agreement as to, or even discussing this? I have seen it. I've not seen it. I've not heard of it. No, and... I just had a horrifying thought because the last time there was a global agreement in any capacity it came under the United Nations peacekeeping forces and five of the members of that happened to be the six biggest arm dealers in the world. <laughs> That's like giving... <laughs> So that, that that's the immediate horror that came into my head when you mentioned that is oh right last time we did this they turned into the world's biggest arms dealers. So it's it's a it's a I mean it's there these are huge issues they are and and they're issues which take thought but they also are issues which require humanity 
trust, um, and, and to, to some extent, to some extent, it requires the transformation of humanity that's maybe never been done in history. And that in itself will probably be scary yeah. for many people in many countries. And so, and I think that the speed at which this goes, I mean, the best thing that can happen, the evolution of AI, that the experts, the people who have created it, all right, are being super cautious and saying it's coming faster. Uh, but it, you know, the, you know, there's none of this is going to happen. I mean, look at the world. None of this is going to happen in a shortened period of time vis-a-vis -vis how it's solved. The AI is a thing of its own, which is moving at its own speed. And it will go as, there's too much money at stake and too many people at stake. Uh, you know, it, the AI will continue to evolve because it's not managed in, under the control of any one group of people. And so the questions we've been talking about which are existential questions and important questions. Countries need to create their own, if you will, group of very, very bright people, humane people, trusted people. You know, it's like each you know, country's going to have to basically come to their own conclusion and, and then ultimately those groups of company countries band together because it's going to have to be something more universal uh, and right now with everything going on in the world it's hard to see that happening it's hard to see that happening the, the, we're in we're in go ahead. sorry I, I was just going to say because the, the, there's a line that um that comes from your your book which is we need to excel at building caring trusting positive emotional relationships with others which yes in itself ai could create the necessity the need for that to happen because at the moment we we feel there is a fear that we need boundaries well the the, the AI inadvertently could be what cracks those boundaries or puts the cracks in the wall that helps that collapse so that we start having to excel at trust. And, at, and, at, yeah, I mean, a, AI can basically accelerate that need. Human beings though have to change their behaviors and mindsets to accept that need and then to uh, adapt their behaviors to evidence that need. 
I don't think AI will be able to change humans. The humans are going to have to change themselves. Um, and so that's a AI will AI will put AI will probably give people the opportunity or make it necessary that they consider excelling at building, caring, trusting, positive emotional relationships with other human beings. But, but I don't think AI, unless AI also gets in the drug business or something, I don't know. I mean, human beings are going to human beings are going to have to themselves buy into a new story. There has to be a new story, and we go through the history of the world. Okay, there's not a great big one story about a big happy group of people. Right, that's and true. So we're talking about a a transformation, a transformation of of uh, not saying it's not possible, but it's you know it's, it's never happened it's, before. It's never happened before. It's never happened before, uh, and and that only makes it more <laughs> complicated. Uh, it's almost like. To get to the point you're you're talking about, it's almost like everybody's got to buy into a new story, okay? And there's you know, um, umpteen billions of people, all right? Uh, and how do people who are the wealthiest or the most powerful, what's going to motivate them to give up their power in their wealth, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's a, it's a, it's a mind boggling, not saying it can't happen. It's a mind boggling story. It's an interesting story that, that, that you're talking about, but it's, it, it is mind boggling, especially if we sit back today and look at what's going on across the world today. Uh, when there is probably more stress uh, and potentialities of war than there's hmm. been in decades. All right, so it's it's almost it's almost like, and this is very very interesting. You're a very very smart person. And I say that with, with, with respect. Uh, it shows the complexity that maybe, I mean, it could take multiple decades, decades, I mean, even more than that, centuries before that came to play but even if that was the case, would we really reach the stage where there's not fragility, there's not competition, there's not 
greed. There's not bad behaviors, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, maybe, maybe there's an easier way in each country to figure out how to get part of the way there. I think because it will take any country it will take any country transforming itself <laughs> and you go back to your, your statement about what happened decades ago I mean you can look at the Nordic countries and, and how the wealthy people that you know what they did to create the new culture of the Nordic countries which became very is unique in the world I mean that's a great example you didn't mention use the word Nordic but Nordic was one of the things that I think you were talking about. And, and so it's like, okay, so where's the leadership come from? Where's the leadership come from? Who's going to, who's going to stand up and, uh, and invite people to join a new journey? I don't know. I, one of the things that, and, and possibly I'm being, optimistic and holding out for hope humans have an incredible tenacity to survive and we are steeped in a rich history of both excelling at survival and adaptability as well as being our own destruction and I, I wonder if there's a part of us that it, because we are so incredibly tribal, we potentially, on a very basic level, may unite against AI. And I, I don't mean in challenging AI, but in understanding that because of what AI will bring and what it will do, we're going to have to look towards each other, our neighbours, for want of a better term, and be kinder themselves as a community that would be nice yeah be a start that would be nice uh when you look at what's going on in the world today that would take a lot of uh, huge change effort and the people who need to change the most have got to come up with a meaningful why they should change. Well, so I think one of the things that's it's, it's difficult, especially with regards to what's going on today, is for a solution to happen, you actually want to have to work with the providers of the solution. And that, that would always take both parties. But if the only thing you're interested in is the destruction, that, that, that there's never a, an outcome that's a solution. But there just isn't. You, you, you know, it's. I've listened to you know a hundred different people talk about the politics, the history, and, and what's clear from all of that is, I'd rather, I'd rather. I'd rather risk killing myself than see them live. And when you when you're wrapped up in that much hate for any for anything, it's 
that, that there's not a solution that brings forward peace. And I, I think the, the thing that I think the the thing that we've got to do as fast as we can is help people take ownership as best they can of what they can do and what they can't do, but of figuring out, okay, in however this plays out, how do I need to manage myself and behave in ways that I have some happiness, yeah. have some uh, meaning. And, and that's the purpose of my most recent book, because it goes back to 2,000 years of history of, uh, of, of trying to accomplish this. And many of the scientific principles that are in that are viable today were built upon those philosophical principles of, of uh, how we humans will find happiness or meaning, etc. And it's, you know, the, if you look at the seven great religions and everything, their, their, their concepts are very consistent. All right. There's some little odds and ends and changes and whatever. But you you look at um, how can how can a and I think that it is will be possible for people in small groups, communities, um, uh, even parts of a country, uh, or even a country, small countries, etc., to basically say, wait a minute, we've got to have a new story. And the story is not just about AI. The story is about us as human beings, mm. and we've got to we we've got to as as I say in my writings, we got to take ownership of our ego, our mind, body, our emotions, our words, how we behave, how we treat each other, um, because it's going to be we're going to need each other. And so, how do we become on get on the journey to best self? And that journey is based in science, but it's also based in the ancient, all the great religions and the great philosophies. And it's it takes work, but it's not rocket science, all right? And it's a way of, all right, at least in our little, wherever we're living, wherever we're doing, can we come to some agreement about how we're going to try and help each other get through this? And we'll leave the big issues okay if we can get this issue started this can grow and then maybe it's easier to get people to come together who you would say would never come together all right but there's got to be we're talking about philosophical we're talking about culture but we're also talking about stuff that's 2,000 years old uh, and more that it's it's it is possible for human beings to to take ownership and change the way they be but it has to be more than one human being it has to be 
you know, a small group who grows into a big group who convinces other groups and people see that, wait a minute, these people are helping each other instead of fighting, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe you get there, maybe you don't. But right now, because of the complexity of the AI world and the complexity of AI, you're not going to get a lot of people that are going to all of a sudden become AI experts and, you know, and work with the, you know, mm. 30, 40 experts in the world. Not going to happen. All right. You're not going to basically all of a sudden find the two or three largest technology companies in the world who are basically can have some control over this. All of a sudden going to hire millions of people and we're going to teach them. No, it, it comes down to, all right, how are we, how are we, basically going to adapt well enough that we can basically not lose our humanity and not end up in many, many, and whatever's in the middle, you know, little small wars, little large wars or giant wars, right? And, uh, and it all comes down to culture, who's in power, and what the purposes are. And we don't have those conversations going on in many places. They are going on in some parts of the world. They're going on, as I said, in the EU, they've been going on. Uh, they've been, it's happened before in other countries. Um, you know, China has its plan. Um, Canada has a different system than the United States has. The Canadian system is um, much, the Canadian system will be easier to adapt in the United States system just because of the current Canadian system. And so you get down to this is, okay, who are the leaders? Who's the leaders? Who's going to stand up? And I mean, and you had 10,000 technology people in the world sign a document saying we should, this happened months ago, uh, signing a document saying we should take pause, time out. No more work. Let's figure out what to do. 10,000 technology people signed that document, including the people who are the creators of this new AI. All right. And... We're just starting in the United States to get some rules about, okay, how are we going to play? Okay. They won't stop it now. No, you're not going to stop it now. It's it's gone. But it's going to, how, how are you going to try to manage it, control it, limit it, use it, etc. So it's um, in, the, in the recent, in the last weeks, person who's called, he's, he's from Canada, the person's called the father of AI. Basically, in his, uh, um, he was on 60 Minutes in the United States saying, you know, in just a few years, humans will not be the smartest people in the world. AI. Where is, is AI currently, is there a genuine self-teaching 
trying to think of how to articulate this correctly. But is there a real AI at the moment that actually exists? Because currently my understanding is it's a very sophisticated self-learning search engine stroke algorithm type scenario, which I, which I know is very a very crude way of describing AI, and I apologize for that. But it, but it, it's not a kind of self-governing, governing, independent, replicating artificial being for want of a better term. Or am I wrong completely? No, it's not there. It's not what it's. It's not that one human being. No, it's not there. It's 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 not clear to me, and I'm not an expert in it. It's not clear to me that the there are different there are different or different organizations, companies, etc., that have their AI packages. All right. Mm. It's not clear to me that those packages are the same or consistent, etc. There is clearly lots of overlap. Um, no, I mean there's a race on between two or three very big technology companies to be the dominant AI player. So it's always, so you have a competition ongoing now. Um, and then you have a competition between countries going on. And so, you know, going together and bringing this together and as a way to talk about the world humanity doesn't, uh, is not in existence today. And I don't think it's going to be possible to do it, it won't, I don't think in the near term that will be possible because AIs, the strengths of AI play into the geopolitics of the world. Yeah. And so, and, and so is everybody all of a sudden going to be basically embrace a theory that, you know, uh, let's basically all agree on what we're going to do so everybody will live a happy life no because some people believe the way they're living is better than the way other people are living and this is their country and this is what their people want and this is what the leaders want so i don't know how you get there so i think it's going to basically be commercially driven for some time it's yeah i mean that comes back to the earlier point doesn't it that ultimately that the thing that's difficult so it's going to be a slight tangent. I, I remember learning this sometime many, many years ago. The the modern container ship, the container shipping containers that we know today, they were designed by a person. And and I'm paraphrasing from some poor memory, but effectively the person that owned the rights to that shipping container was convinced by somebody that if you make this a massive success and i think it was a a, sh a guy who owned a shipping company it was like a large shipping magnet they said look release this to public source let everybody reproduce these shipping containers and they'll come become a global thing and everybody will use the same design and that's what the owner of the design did and that actually by default enabled everyone to copy the same shipping containers he gave up all the licensing for it and you kind of just because then that meant anywhere his ships went, they would be using those shipping containers. And 
that there's almost you, you need that level of thinking again you need to, to that that level of thinking that if this is going to be around the world there's some form of ownership that that we have to give up to let everybody have it for free and and you look at our geopolitics in the world I'm not smart enough to figure out how you get there. I think that part of part of what's going on is geopo geopolitical. Uh, oh, there's a, I mean, there's a race on between the two, three big technology companies, and there's a, a, a race on, quite frankly, between China and the United States. yeah it's i mean that that's historically through time has always been the largest issue with humanity there, there is always some guy that needs a bigger empire and isn't satisfied in, until his empire is bigger than his neighbor's empire by taking his neighbor's empire and then continues continues and you know and it, it's that, that, as far as i'm aware that's been since the beginning of time every tribal leader wanted the, the prizes of the tribe next door and if his fort was bigger he wanted a bigger fort <laughs> but they're there but we have also evolved you, you didn't know we, we have evolved with with technologies with medicines things have been shared unfortunately often when we are at our most unite united is when we're at war so it's not always again the most positive way to unite but while people like you and I are always talking and people like yourself are dedicating your time to writing books, the fight isn't up and we're still here. And if there's nothing, one thing that social media podcasting has done, it has enabled people around the world to connect and share ideas and learn just how much we actually do love ourselves as a species and just how much we have in common. And that's all very positive. And what what I've tried to do in this last book is to basically put something out there that is accessible, usable, doable by every person. Uh, it's a, a workbook, a short book, a how-to book. It's scientifically proven. And... Uh, you know that my, the the goal is the goal of this book is the practical side of the beautiful statement you just said. Thank you. And I I have a couple of more questions for you, and one of them would connect to the book. If you look back in your life, what do you do well? I look back in my life. What did I do well? What well? What did you do well? Yeah. What do you do well? Well, first, if I look back on my life, it is clear that I've had many people who helped me become who I am. So I didn't do anything by myself. 
um, my life was changed dramatically multiple times by people who saw something in me that they felt was important to help me do become whatever. And so what do I do well? I would say, look back at the differences in my life. I've had, you know, three different professional lives. Uh, I learn, unlearn, and relearn well. Okay. I'm not scared of going into the unknown. I can figure things out. Uh, and that's because I was given those opportunities at the very beginning. And so I've always been a person that was willing to ask why and why not. Uh, and I mean, uh, yeah, but I, but again, I had people. Okay. I have people. I call them my angels. I've had in my life three different careers. I've had 25 angels in my life, many who now are passed away, who saw something in me, gave me an opportunity. They trusted that I wasn't going to go off the binge and whatever. Uh, so it's because of people that saw something, cared. So it's... Uh, so what am I good at? Trying to help other people, trying to help people make meaning. Uh, but I'm, what I'm personally good at is I'm not fearful of the unknown. I mean, I just I figure out that, okay, let's just go talk to people and explore. Let's go into the, I've been into the, jungles and parts of the world learning how you know crafts were being made here i was uh, you know a person from the united states and you know wearing nice clothes and i was in you know but people you know people weren't offended by me because i wasn't arrogant i wasn't that, trying to show them that they don't know what they're doing i was there saying i need your help how do you make this what do you do with this and, you know, um, and, and generally there's always been one nice person who said, I'm going to help you. That's nice. I like that. My last question, and it's, it's completely random and requires a little bit of imagination. If you could be any place in time, where would you be? Why would you be there? What would you be driving and what would be, what music would you be listening to? Yeah, that is a lot. You're right. It's a lot of questions. If I had to be well 76 years old I like where I am because of what I've learned and I like 
where I am because of the opportunity I've been given by others to try and make some type of have some type of input into what we've been talking about. So I don't really want to be anywhere else right now because everything that I've done in my life for those 76 years is been it's been different things built upon, but it's given me the possibility of trying to have a voice, not a voice of power, but a voice with people saying, look, there are ways that you can take control of your life. There are ways you can manage yourself. There are ways you can have happiness, even though the world may be crazy, all right? There are ways to behave. You can own those ways. And so I've, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm here doing what I'm doing because in some ways it was, it's a continuation of the little building blocks that happened to me in those 76 years. And that sounds weird or whatever, but I don't, I don't want to be anywhere else right now. I just want to try and help people. And that's perfect. Thank you very much for your time. It's deeply appreciated. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. That your questions are just magnificent. All right? Thank you. And and thoughtful and caring. And if you think about it, you're you know the way you handled it and and came up on it is you are excelling at the building, caring, trusting, positive emotional relationships with other human beings. Because you didn't know me from Adam. But we had, and you brought out of me, because I trusted you and felt something, you brought out of me a conversation, which was, you know, not, you know, totally new. Thank you very much. That's, that's, and I thank, thank you for that, because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's unique, but also it's helpful to the people that are going to listen to what you did. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And please check out Own Your Work Journey. Path to meaningful work and happiness in the age of smart technology and radical change. Ed has written many, many books. Please check him out. Check out his books. They really could change your life.